Acts chapter 21, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject, drifting out of God's will. Drifting out of God's will. Acts chapter 21, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I invite you to stand, all those that can and are able, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. When Acts chapter 21, begin to read in verse 1, the Bible says these words. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Plotmus, greeted, the, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when we would have when we would not when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. And after those days we packed and went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went with us to James and the elders that were present. He greeted them. He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But, you, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought, to circumcise their, that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them to be purified with them. Pay their expense so that they may shave their heads and that they all may know that those things of which, we're, of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from idols, from things, from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in 
The next day, having been purified with him, entered the temple to announce the expiration of days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought to the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning and challenge us. And God, I pray uh, that the devil may have already spoken to someone this morning and say, what do all these verses have to do with anything? Father, I pray you remind us that all scripture is profitable. Father, you have things to teach us. And I pray from these texts this morning, God, you will show us how very subtly Satan can work through many different avenues to try to cause us to drift out of your perfect and expressed will for our lives. And God, I pray that as we live every day on mission, as your followers, disciples, learners and followers of Jesus Christ, we'll be aware of these things that Satan can try to use to try to lure us out of your will. And God, will stand strong and continue to follow you, your word, and your will until we see your precious face. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And now I'll invite you to be seated. Well, Paul has said farewell to the Ephesian elders. Uh, last week we preached out of Acts chapter 20, and we saw what is, uh, to me, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible, uh, a group of Bible-believing, God-loving, God-word-loving people. And they loved the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were like-minded. They loved the Lord. They loved his word. And these elders came together, and Paul reminded them of all that he had done in their midst, all the Lord had done through him. And then he encouraged them, and he challenged them for challenges that were going to face the church. And those challenges certainly came. He wrote a letter, uh, the book of Ephesians, to encourage them. Our Lord sent them a letter through John the Revelator to challenge them about, encourage them for things they were doing right, but to challenge them about the love that they had lost. But it's, it's time to move on. Paul couldn't stay there. The, the will that God had for Paul's life was Rome. Rome was Paul's destiny, but he had to go to Jerusalem first. And so this is God's will for Paul's life. Acts chapter 23 and verse number 11. Uh, the Bible says that the following night, the Lord stood by Paul. He's, Paul's in a tough spot now in Acts chapter 23. And Jesus comes and stands by him and says, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me before me in, uh, testified for me in Jerusalem, so must you also bear witness of me in Rome. So that was God's expressed will. He had to go to Jerusalem first, and then he had to go to Rome to give a defense of the gospel there in Rome. And so that was his will. You know, John 10.10 10 is a verse that we quote often here. We share it a lot in discipleship because you need to know it. It's an encouragement and a challenge also in, in, in one verse. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm thankful Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. But don't read past the first part, getting to the honey in the second part. We have an enemy. He's there. He's against us every day. Friend, I promise you, the enemy 
is more committed to his mission, sadly, than the church is to theirs. And he desires to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And part of that, and some of the ways he seeks to do that, is to lure you as a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, out of the expressed will of God. Now, I want to pause and say this. If you've never been saved, you, you, you're, you're already blinded. You can't be led anywhere because you're, you're on a collision course for a place called hell. You're not a learner and a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't care how many churches you've joined, how many baptistries, creeks, and ponds you've been baptized in. If you've never spiritually been born again, that is to repent of your sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, you're lost in your sin today. And what you need to do is do what Paul did in Acts chapter 9. You need to say, Lord Jesus, save me. That's what he said, Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? He turned from sin and he confessed Jesus as Lord of his life. And that's what you need to do. And that's how you become a learner and a follower of Jesus Christ is by being born again, spiritually born, John 3, 7, into the family of God. But when you do that and you begin to follow Christ, one of the things the devil will try to do is to, is to lure you out of God's expressed will for his life. And I want you to know that sometimes God calls us to difficult tasks. He's calling Paul uh, to a difficult task. We've already seen that. He steps into Rome. He's no sooner there than he's getting the tar beat out of him again. And this was a usual thing for Paul. He, he knew this. There's no insurance company that would have picked Paul up. He would have had so many claims. No one would have wanted him. Paul was just a walking, a, a walking piece of scabs and, and healing scabs. He was beaten, contusions, bruises all over him. That was the Apostle Paul. Every place he went, friend, he suffered, not only spiritually, but physically for the gospel. And so God calls, he may not call us to a life like that, but sometimes he calls us to difficult tasks in his will. Some are just inherent parts of being a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, the final steps of repentance in the life of a believer can be very difficult. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And that begins by concurring, with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as he convicts us of sin, we have to then confess our sin, but then we not only change direction, we turn to Christ in saving faith, but listen, there must be change in our life. No change, no salvation. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes in, there's going to be a difference. There's going to be change. And so sometimes those last steps of repentance can be very painful. That means severing relationships that you had as a lost person. It, it may be severing ties of influence from lost family members, even a spouse. Not severing from the spouse, but their negative spiritual influence over your life. Sometimes those final steps of repentance can, can, be, can be costly. You might even have to change jobs. Uh, there was a fellow in our, in our first church that we pastored. He got saved, and so he quit, and he drove a beer truck. He went in and resigned and found a new job. He says, I can't serve Jesus Christ and drive this beer truck anymore. So it, it costs something. Repentance costs us. And so the will of God sometimes can be very difficult in that. Taking the next steps in discipleship. Now, I want to remind you, friend, dude, next, next Sunday we're going to have a baptism service. Baptism saves no one. But baptism is the first act of obedience in the life of a believer. And I want to remind you, friend, again, baptism comes after salvation. There's a lot of people in churches, they prayed a prayer, they got wet, and then later in life they got, they, they, they got saved. But for whatever reason, they, know, they don't go back and, and be baptized. Baptism doesn't come before salvation, it comes after. I'm going to you, the Bible says, to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
To not be baptized, friend, is to sin against God. And that can be a challenge sometimes because you might have gotten saved by your bedside. You might have got saved at the camp. And you didn't even tell anybody about it, but you just settled with God. And sometimes people are embarrassed to settle that. Don't worry. That can be, that can be a challenging thing. That can be a difficult thing. But what God calls us to do, we have to do. It's his, it's his will. Those final steps in discipleship of rearranging your calendar to put God first in all things. Sometimes you have to spend less time with friends, family members. You have to cut away from, from things you were, you were doing all the time. I remember a family that had, had bought a camper. You buy a camper, you got to camp. So they were just camp, 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 camp all the time. They were never in church. They were always camping. When they committed their life to Christ, they stopped camping all the time and started spending time. They ended up having to sell their camper. So you, you, when you put Jesus first, friend, he must be first. And so what he calls us to do in his will to sometimes can be, very, can be very difficult and can be challenging. Speaking out against sin in your family. We shared that last week. So many people know what's right, so many believers. They observe sin, they see sin in their family, and for whatever reason, they won't address it. They won't challenge family members because it's difficult. And I've heard this lie since I've been, well, Brother Chad, you can witness to anybody, but you can't witness to your family. Friend, that is a lie. You've already got your foot in the door. You already know them. One of the most difficult things about evangelism and discipleship is, is spanning the bridge of a relationship, building a relationship with someone. If, you are, if you're they're your family member, you already know them. And if you really love them, then you ought to be able to talk to them about things. But it can be very difficult. But it can be God's will that he's calling you to do. Getting all in as it relates to living on mission. Whatever it is, Satan will seek to try to buff it and to very subtly lure you away and cause you to drift out of what it is that God wills you to do and that leads you to a place of compromise. I want you to notice three things that the devil can use to cause you to drift out of God's will for your life. Three things he was trying to use in Paul's life to keep him from going to Jerusalem. And you, know, and you may not need these right now, but friend, I just promise you, as your pastor... It's, it's not the message, it's not the outline that I give, but it's the text. You're going to need these truths at some point. So I encourage you to write them down this morning. Number one, the first thing the devil can use to try to cause you to drift out of God's will is the presence of ease and comfort. The presence of ease and comfort. Look again what the Bible says in verses 1 through 5 of Acts chapter 21. Paul said goodbye, he's on his way, and so they're on a ship that's just making, it's like riding a bus in the city. They're stopping at every corner. They're just stopping at every little port, every little port, and so finally, they end up landing, verse 3, in Tyre, and the Bible says in verse number 4 that they, they, find, some, they find some disciples there. And I want you to understand, friend, Luke, would, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he wouldn't use the word disciple loosely. You know, we use the word Christian so loosely. Now, you know, we're, remember the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch, and the name stood for something. The lost people of that community looked at those individuals, and they said, man, those, those people are Christ-like. They're just like Jesus. There's something about their life that's, that's different. They're, they're Christ followers. There's some, well, now the word Christian, you know, America's a Christian nation. Friend, it's anything but a Christian nation. The name Christian in today's culture, it, it meant something in the book of Acts, but it doesn't mean a lot today. And I'm afraid that the word disciple doesn't mean as much today. 
Because the Bible says in the the last days, the Apostle Paul says, that men and women won't endure sound doctrine. And, And that's what builds disciples is sound doctrine. But rather, they'll push away from sound doctrine and heap for themselves teachers, the Bible says, that, that will scratch their itching ears. You, you see, you, you, can't, you can't follow Jesus if you're not following the Jesus that's presented in the Bible. And so Luke understood what the word disciple meant. How? Because he was there when Jesus talked about it. In Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23 Jesus said these words as Luke sat there and listened. Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke understood all these things. Uh, Verse number 57, the Bible says of of Luke chapter 9, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. Remember, to be a disciple involves two things. First is to be a learner and then a follower. Learn and follower. And this man comes up and says, hey, you know, man, I want to get on the Jesus train, man. I mean, this is just, this is the most awesome thing that's happening. There's there's miracles that are taking place. This is the the end place to be right now. You know, it's hashtag Jesus. Everybody's everybody's crazy about Jesus. And verse 3 says, I want to follow you. And so Jesus knew what he meant by follow me. And don't miss this. He knew what this guy meant by follow me. And so Jesus began to speak to him. He said, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He knew this guy didn't want to follow him. He didn't want to suffer. He wanted a life of ease and comfort. Then he said to a, then, then another you know, that spoke to him, he says, you know, follow me. Jesus spoke to him. He says, well, Lord, let me go and bury my father first. He said, well, what's wrong with that? He put his family before Jesus. Nothing wrong with taking care of your family. Nothing wrong with burying your dad. But Jesus looked into his heart. And so he had, he had family before Jesus. And then in verse number 59, he, he said, in verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, and you go and preach the kingdom of God. He says, don't worry about those things. You do what I've called you to do. And then Luke chapter 9, verse 61, another one also said, now Luke's writing all this, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to those. Let me go kiss mama. God, God kiss mama. God, go tell, go, let me go tell my family goodbye. But Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so Luke says here in Acts chapter 21 that they found some disciples at Tyre. What kind of individuals were they? They were the kind of individuals that are described in Luke 9, 23, and 24. This is the kind of people that were there. Not just, well, we found some Christians. You know, they they had a Jesus fish on their chariot. You know, so we just figured... Or they had the tag that says, you know, follow me to Tyre First Baptist. You know, I'm so, don't be tired, come to Tyre. They, all the little cute things, it wasn't that. They saw a marked difference in their life. And so God, along the journey, placed these individuals, and they stayed there for, for seven days. And so what a blessing it was. The hospitality of like-minded believers was a welcome rest. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and it's, hey, it's Paul. This first one to get him wins. That, that was what everyday ministry was for Paul. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? No, but I'll punch you in the mouth. 
That's, that's what the reality of ministry was for him. And so now here he is amongst some like-minded believers who say, that's exactly the way we see life, Paul. You'll know why? Because the Word of God says that's the way it is. We love Jesus, Paul. He changed our life. What a comfort. What an encouragement for just a few days to be there. Well, then the Bible says they, they, they went out with them, verse number 5. How beautiful. The, the, the whole families went. Wives, children out of the edge of the city, and then knelt down and prayed. The prayer support. Say, hey, Paul, listen, can, can we pray for you? We just want to encourage you and let you know we love you, we're proud of you, and we're, but we're going to stay right here in Tyre. And everybody else may follow the world. Everybody else may do what's easy. Everybody else may take the low road, but we're going to keep serving Jesus Christ. What an encouragement that had to be. And then so they boarded a ship, verse 7, and when they had finished their voyage from Tyre, they came to Palotmus, and there they, they greeted the brethren. There were more brothers and sisters. Luke wouldn't have used that lightly. You know, hey, brother, no, the brethren, John 3, 7, those who had been born again into the family of God. There Jesus had more. Friend, listen, we've got family all over this world. In every little pocket and in every little corner, there are still brothers and sisters in Christ who haven't bowed a knee to bail. They're still serving Jesus. I want to make friend, listen, Greenwood doesn't have the market on the church. There, there are, there are quote-unquote Greenwood Baptists all over this world who love the Lord and who love His Word and seek above all to be faithful to the Great Commission. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here they, here they met some more individuals, the encouragement that they, they received. Verse number 8, and then they come to Caesarea. And the Bible says in verse number 8 that they entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and who stayed with him. Interesting story. This is the Philip in Acts chapter 8 that preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, led him to Christ, and then the last verse of Acts chapter 8 says he was called up in the Spirit, carried off and preached, and then ended up in Caesarea. But you want to talk about an interesting meeting. Now remember in Acts chapter 6 verse 5, uh, Philip was one of the first deacons, along with a man by the name of Stephen. And so Stephen gave uh, one of the greatest messages that had ever been preached. Preached the whole history of the Jewish nation all the way to the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, preached his heart out while everybody stood there tossing rocks up in their right hand, just looking at him. And Philip also knew that while this was happening, over in the corner... There was a man by the name of Saul who they'd taken all their jackets off and their clothes and had laid them at his feet. And the Bible says that he was consenting unto Stephen's death because after he preached that message, they killed him with rocks. They killed Philip's friend. They killed his brother in Christ. They, killed, they were in the first class of deacons that there ever were. The first deacon body. Again, not a board of deacons. Deacons aren't a bunch of boss hogs that run the church or county commissioners. It is a body of believers for service. And so they were a part of the first body of deacons that existed. This was his brother in Christ. And so here comes now Paul, who was Saul, that was consenting unto his death. And what happens? Philip welcomes him into his house. He loves on him, and he encourages him. They stayed with him. And the Bible says in verse number 10, they stayed many, many days. 
Now, lest you think I'm trying to duck what has been the verse some people wonder about, I'm not going to. I'm going to spend two minutes and just say, it is an interesting factoid that Philip the Evangelist, verse 9, had four young daughters who prophesied. Apparently they had a budding women's ministry. Were they preachers? Were they pastors? Well, absolutely not, because Philip was a man of God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.12 that women are not to exercise authority over mixed congregations, that is, with men present in the local church. That's what the Bible says. And if a church is going to be in line with God's Word and be blessed by God, it has to be a doer of God's Word. Does that mean women can't teach men? They're not able or equipped? Absolutely not. Some of the godliest Christians I've ever met are women. Also, most often, women have to step into roles within the life of the church because men are so spiritually immature and sorry they won't step up and be the men of God that God's called them to be in the life of the church. And so here's just an interesting uh, you know, event that he had these four daughters who had this budding women's ministry within the life of the church. They couldn't have been pastors, 1 Timothy 3, 1, because they were women. And women can't pastor, nor can they be deacons. Why? Because the Word of God forbids it. And it's happening in churches today. It's, it's happening more and more. And I want to tell you why. Because most churches today are more W-O-K-E than the R-W-O-R-D. That's why. They're more concerned about being woke than the R-Word. And Greenwood's always not going to be concerned, friend, about being woke. We're going to be a church of the word. And I just want to remind you, friend, listen. And I want to tell every lady in here, God loves you. He has equipped you. We did a lesson last week. We are equal before God. But in our assignments, God has set some limitations that women aren't able to do within the local church. And so we want God to honor our church and to bless our church, and to bless every life. But I want to say this, the opportunities for service will always far outweigh any limitations that Scripture gives. But Scripture does give some limitations. So Paul, here he is with, with Philip, and he's, he's spending this time. And he had to just be so encouraged that Philip was like, well, I remember when, and I still hadn't forgiven you. We need to talk, buddy. No. Philip had heard. And he knew what the power of the gospel could do in someone's life. It had changed Paul's life. And he gave him the opportunity to grow. And he gave him the opportunity to change. And it had to be so encouraging that he displayed this love and this forgiveness. And now they shared the love that they had for God's word and the, the love that they had for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there they were these days. And so the Bible says, after some days, verse number 15, they pack up and, and then they begin to go to Jerusalem. And, and, and remember, there's, there's still this challenge now, the presence of ease and comfort. Stay with me. Paul's just had, Paul's, Paul's had just a, a, a little spiritual vacation. He's just been bouncing from loving home to loving home, enjoying comfort, uh, hospitality, prayer, what, 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 what an opportunity to just experience revival and blessing. And so he's, he's experienced this, this comfort and all of this joy. And so now he goes to Jerusalem, verse 16, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went up with us, and they brought a certain Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom they were to lodge, and just to hear all that God had done in his life, verse 17. And when they had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. They were glad to see them. Hey, Paul, how you doing, Paul? Not get a rock, get a rope. 
So that Paul, it, Paul's here. And then not only, but listen to this, man. This is, a, this is a who's who, verse 18. And then the following day, they went in with us to James. Now there's James and all of the other elders. And so they greeted them. He told in detail, verse 19, all the things which God had done, the humility among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Just joy, happiness, rejoicing, this, this experience of hospitality, acceptance, concern, appreciation, shared love, commitment to Christ and His Word with other like-minded disciples. Friend, you may have never needed that, but I want to tell you something. In ministry, it is a blessing when you've had to do ministry with people that don't love God with all their heart, they only love part of these words. When you get around like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ who are all in, love the Lord and love His Word, I'm telling you, friend, it is a piece of heaven on earth. Can I get a witness? There's nothing like it. That's one of the blessings of church. To be able to come be with your church family on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday, as we then redeploy back into a lost and dying world to be salt and light for Jesus Christ. That's, that's one of the benefits. And so I, I don't understand. When people say, well, I just don't... When, when a born-again believer says, well, I just don't have time for church. Friend, it's not about time. I want to come to church. I get to come to church. I get to be with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ and be encouraged and, and, and refueled in order to face a lost and dying world. And so the Satan could really have spoke to Paul. So he's, he's had, don't miss this, he's had this, this time of ease and comfort, and now Jerusalem is before him. He's there, but going to the temple is there. Why in the world would Paul go on forward now and try to witness? Why would he step out of this? Man, just, just stay with these like-minded believers and build a little comfortable ministry. You know, retire, Paul. Ease into comfort. Why, why, why move forward? Why? Listen to me. Because that's where God was leading him to go. And Paul knew the hardships that awaited. He knew the chains that were there. And while Satan, don't you think, wasn't trying to speak through all of this comfort and ease that he needed to stay there. Friend, listen. God doesn't call us to a life of comfort and ease. He calls us to a life of surrender. And sometimes God's will leads us into difficult, hard places and situations. But I'm so thankful God will never lead you to a place that His grace cannot equip you and cannot sustain you. And so enjoy when the sun's shining on your life. But don't refuse the will of God if it's leading you into difficulty to stay in comfort and ease. Because I promise you, friend, you may stay in comfort and ease, but God won't be with you because he'll be ahead in his will and you've not, he hasn't left you, you left him and stayed in comfort and ease. So Satan will try to use the presence of comfort and ease to cause you to drift out of God's will. Number two, he'll also try to use the personal nature of an appeal. The personal nature of an appeal. Now Paul's purposed to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, in verse number 22, he says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying to me that chains of tribulation await me. Paul knew that's, this, is what, this is what God's called me to do. He knows this is God's 
will. But notice that when he was with the believers in Tyre in verse number 4, the Bible says that they told Paul through the Spirit, don't go up to Jerusalem. They said, now Paul, we, we, we know you're, where you're headed, where I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. You can't do that. They're going to kill you there. We've already heard word. I mean, those people hate your guts. Paul, we love you. We're so encouraged by your presence here. We're like-minded believers. Paul, Paul don't, don't do that. Verse number 10, which he was with Philip the Evangelist. The Bible says, after many days they'd been there, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Well, who is, who is this guy? Well, in Acts chapter 11, interestingly, verses 27 through 30, Paul knew who Agabus was. Now, the Bible says in verse number 27, Acts chapter 11, that in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so Paul knew who he was. And his, his, this prophecy had come to pass. He was, he was encouraged by this. He knew this. And so he knew that Agabus was, was an all-in disciple. And so here comes Agabus, and he says, verse number 11, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his... He's going to give a little illustration. So he, he came in and... I'm sure Paul had uh, to look at him like he was half crazy. He took his belt off of him, bound his own hands and feet, so you can see him down in the ground. He's hogtied himself. And then he begins to say, thus says the Holy Spirit. So now he invokes the name of the Holy Spirit. And certainly the Holy Spirit told him these things. But don't misunderstand this, though. He told him what was going to happen, not what Paul ought to do. You see that? Look what the Bible says. Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. He didn't say the Holy Spirit sent me here to tell you you're not to go. He just said, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you if you go. This is what's going to happen. The Bible says in verse number 12, Now when they heard these things, both we and those, this is Luke saying that, our crowd and their crowd, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. They said, Paul, you can't go. Paul says, no, God's told me I've got to go to Jerusalem. And they said, Paul, you can't do that. They're, they're going to they're kill you there. You're going to be bound. Ministry's never going to be the same. And, and apparently, friend, they really began to cry. I mean, they really began to get in and say, Paul, man, we love you. You can't do this, Paul. Paul, you can't go. You can't do it. I mean, it wasn't just, now, now Paul, we don't think you ought to do this. I mean, friend, they were really emotional about this. Look at the Bible says in verse number 13. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I mean, the, the, the personal nature of this plea. These are all in real disciples who are really challenging Paul about the things that he's, he's facing. I mean, they're really into it. Well, then he makes his way to Jerusalem. And verse number 24, they start urging Paul to make peace after they've heard everything that's happened. They said, Paul, look, just, just make peace, okay? Go and just try to let them know that these things aren't so. Well, what did Paul been telling him? He was refuting the doctrine of the Judaizers. Remember, Acts chapter 15 was the Jerusalem council. They had met. 
Peter had even been pulled away a little bit. What were Judaizers teaching? Believe on Jesus Christ. Have faith in Jesus Christ. But you must become a Jew and you must keep the law in order to be saved. And friend, that is legalism. Legalism is not holiness. Legalism is not biblical standards of right conduct. Legalism is not a life surrendered to Christ. Legalism is any act of the flesh added to trusting in Jesus Christ that one thinks will make them safe. And Jesus plus nothing, friend, equals a big fat goose egg. It is Christ alone for salvation. Jesus doesn't need our help. It is a gift that we receive, Romans 6, 23, by faith. It's a gift of God. And so here are these individuals, you know, they, they begin to say, you know, Paul, just make some peace. You know, we're telling you to compromise, Paul, but you're going to get yourself in the pickle if you go up there and stand for the gospel like you've been standing, Paul. You know, Paul, I mean, there, were, there, were, there were church folk, though. Well, Paul's just a troublemaker, you know. He just, he can't compromise. He doesn't know what heals to down and what heals not to down. Friend, biblical truth is always worth dying for. Always worth dying for. And Paul was willing to do that. But, but these were people who loved him. They were deeply concerned. I want to remind you, friend, many times people will share their opinion with you concerning issues in your life. And most often unsolicited. They're just going to come there and say, no, what I think, I think you need to do this. And I think, I think you need to do that. You know, I've been, I've, been, I've been watching this, and I've been thinking this. We just want you to know this is what we think you need to do. And I want you to understand, friend, they, they can truly love, these are people that love you most often. They really care about you, and they really care about your, your lives. And many times, as in Paul's case, it's, it's from people, really, I mean, they do love you. But they're trying to share their opinion. But their opinion may or may not be in line with God's will. It may or may not. Just because they love you and just because they start crying doesn't mean it's from God. And you've got to be able to, to push, push through that uncomfortableness of a personal plea. Most oftentimes it's from family that have never cut the strings. They've, they've never let you be the man or woman of God that God's calling you to be. They've got an unhealthy relationship with you. And so they start offering advice that may or may not be in line with God's will. And I want to remind you, friend, that if it's contrary to God's word, it most certainly is outside of God's will. He says, well, you know, I just want you to know I had a dream. Friend, right there, you just all to like say, stop. You know, you ate a burrito before you went to bed. And that's why you had to, I don't care what your dream was. You know, well, well, God sent me a sign. Stop. I don't care what your sign is. I pray that God will give me peace that passes all understanding. And it's not wrong to seek the counsel of godly brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a good thing to do. But friend, it ought to complement open doors and closed doors that God's already doing in your life as a mature, don't miss this part, surrendered disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have an agenda and you've got a list, well, then you're already outside of God's will. But if you have laid your life at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and He is leading you into His will, it doesn't contradict His word, and He's giving you peace that passes all understanding, then you need to do it. 
You need to do it. And so it doesn't matter what the personal plea is. Well, it didn't happen, so Paul was hearing all of these things. And I want you to know, friend, they can display great emotion. Seek godly counsel and advice, but ultimately rest in the Word of God and His expressed will for your life. And what they should have ended with is what we should always encourage people with, and that's verse number 14. So when he would not be persuaded, it didn't matter. They cried their eyes out. Paul just stood there looking at them. It's like, I know what God's called me to do. I know what God's called me to do. You can't do this, Paul. You can't do this. I know what God's called me to do. They finally said, the will of the Lord be done. That's the way we're to pray. That's what Jesus prayed. Jesus didn't want to drink your sin and my sin. That was what was in the cup. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the crown of thorns. It was that he who knew no sin was made sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But he knew it was God's will. He says, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. And he was obedient to the will of God, even unto death. So be very careful, friend, about the presence of ease and comfort that can lead you out of God's will. We live in an environment in a world, we're so spoiled here in this country, that if it's going to be difficult, well, it certainly can't be God's will, not always the case. Number two, be very, be very careful about the personal nature of an appeal that someone gives to you to try to pull you away from what it is that God's calling you or leading you to do. And then number three, I want you to notice that Satan tries to use the potential for unknown hardships. The potential for unknown hardships. Well, verses 10 and 11, as they stayed with the Gabbos and he shared those things, Paul, he began to share and say, you know, look, the Holy Spirit says whoever wears this belt, he's going to be bound and delivered into the hands of the Jews. That's it's what's going to happen. Ultimately, to the Gentiles in Rome. That's what's going to happen. He's going to face some hard times. But listen, Agabus wasn't telling Paul anything that he didn't already know. Remember that when the Lord saved him, Acts chapter 9, he sent a man to encourage Paul and, and to tell him and to share with him that he was going to have some hardship. He was going to have some difficulties that he was going to face. He, the Bible says, you know, and I'm sure to go and tell him that he is my chosen vessel. He is mine. He is to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew from the very beginning that he was going to face difficulties. He was going to face hardships and challenges. The Holy Spirit had already revealed that to him. Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 23 and 24, he says, The Holy Spirit testifies in every city that I've been saying to me that chains of tribulation await me. Paul said, I know all of these things are here, but now listen to verse number 24 of Acts chapter 20. Paul says, but none of these things move me. The devil was trying to use the potential for unknown hardships to say, man, just stay with these people. Listen to Agabus. Listen, they're, they're crying their eyes out. They love you, man. Stay here. This can't be God's will. I mean, Jesus saved you. God loves you. Every day's supposed to be like Friday. If there's hardships and challenges, surely you're going to have to be out of God's will. Paul says, none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, man didn't call me to do this. God called me. 
And friend, I'm telling you, it's the calling of God that will keep you moving forward in life. Why do we continue to live on mission in the world and in a country and in a state and in a southern region that is so hardened to the gospel? Because that's the mission God gave the church. And we're not going to quit and we're not going to stop until he raptures us or we draw our last breath dying we step into his presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Why? Because that's the ministry that he gave us. It would be easier to quit. Be easier to do other ministries. You know, step away from church. I mean, you know, just run, on Sundays, I saw, my dad shared with me this morning, a church in my hometown, they're not having services today. They're going to run a blood mobile out of the church today. A church back home. That's what they're doing. They say, oh, well, that's a good thing. No, friend, it is a good thing, but do it on Saturday, but on the Lord's Day, preach the Word of God and say, see people saved and build disciples. That's what churches are doing today. They're stepping away from what God called them to do and they're running circuses to build a crowd. Because that's the comfortable, easy thing to do. No hardship in that. Just keep everybody happy, happy, happy. But Paul says, I don't want that. I want to finish my race. I want to finish my course. That was his expressed desire. And we see it in the prayers, the prayer requests that he offered. When he wrote to the church, at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, listen to what Paul's prayer was. He says, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly. Ephesians verses 6, verses 19 through 20. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul says, I'm already in prison because of this. He says, pray that God will make me even more bold. He says, I'll speak as I ought to speak boldly. He says, that's my, that's my prayer. Colossians chapter 4, in verse number 2, to the church at Colossae, he, he, began, to, he began to sing the same kind of prayer. Because he says, I pray that, that you will continue earnestly in prayer to be vigilant with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us, verse 3, that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ which I'm also in chains. This was after all of this. This is after Paul's bound. Paul says, pray that even while I'm in prison, I'll continue to speak with all boldness to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. He speaks of all the hardships that he experienced, the bumps, the bruises, the challenges. But in verse number 28, Paul says, the greatest burden." The greatest hardship that I live with every day, what comes upon me, he says, is my deep concern for all the churches. Paul says, what keeps me up at night is not what rock's going to get thrown at my head next, but that the churches might not keep moving forward in Great Commission faithfulness. That they might step away from the Word. That they might step away from the Lord. Verse number 7 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, God's given me a... God's given me a thorn in the flesh. He had a physical affliction that he dealt with every day. He says that lest I be exalted above measure. He said, and concerning this thing, I asked the Lord three times that it would be depart from me, but listen to what God gave him. Nothing the doctor could. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now remember, the devil's witnessing to him, I mean, speaking to him this whole time, saying, Paul, you could have ease and comfort, buddy. Listen to these well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ even though they're not all in like you. They love the Lord. They love His Word. But they're not willing to go all the way. Or they wouldn't be telling you these things. He says, listen to them. 
And Paul, listen, you can still get out of this. You're going to get your head cut off. Just renounce your faith in Christ. Tell Caesar it was all a big misunderstanding. He says, no. Therefore, I will most gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake, he says, for when I am weak, then I'm made strong. Paul says, I'll take the power of God over the low road of the devil any day of the week. And so the devil's trying to lure Paul out of God's will because of the potential of hardships and challenges. Paul wouldn't do it. He knew well all of the potentials. Boy, I like how the author of Hebrews, and it's interesting that the, the writing of the author of Hebrews, it sounds a lot like what Paul would write. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, what's that? It's the will of God. It's the, it's the individual course that God has for every individual, every family, and every church. God has set a course before every disciple, every family, every church to run. And the author of Hebrews says, man, let us, let us run that with endurance. The race, the will of God that's set before us. And as we do it, verse number 2, look unto Jesus. Not the world, not, not the skeptics, not the bad advice, but look unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he's our example. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And friend, I'm telling you, one of these days, by graver air, we're going to get to sit down and rest too. So choose in these days. Whatever it is, as God reveals His perfect will for your life as an all-in disciple, to not allow Satan to have any inroad into your life. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is just three that we see in the text. But choose to be like Paul, to have a desire that says, I want to finish well. Don't let anything or anyone be used by the enemy to cause you to drift out of God's will. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You can't follow who you don't know. I want to invite you this morning, if you've never turned from sin and surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, would you not do it this morning? He loves you. He came to this sin-cursed earth and he died in your place to be your sin substitute. But you must personally choose to turn from sin and trust Jesus to be your Lord. Believing that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. And you want him now to be the king of your life. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just tell him so today. That you want to turn from sin and you want him to live in your heart and to be Lord of your life. And he'll save you today, friend. He'll do it. Tell him so right now in a simple prayer where you sit. Pray with all your heart. Pray straight to the heart of Christ. Pray just like this, silently. Lord, forgive me a sinner. I acknowledge my sin today. It's all my fault. I concur. I'm confessing that I've done it. Now, God, I'm changing directions. I'm turning from the life I've been living to you. 
Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the grave. And like Paul trusted you to be Lord of his life, I want to trust you to be Lord of my life today. I want to discover now what you want me to do, how you want me to live. So take me, make me into the man or woman you want me to be. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Did you pray that this morning? For the very first time ever, did you mean it with all your heart? In a few moments, we're going to stand our feet. And I'm going to invite you to step out into one of these aisles and make your way forward down to where I'm standing. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, I want to encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. As a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you first off, are you still all in? All in. Romans 12, 1 and 2, is all of you still on the altar? What's God called you to that you're not doing? You've either listened to bad counsel, you've looked at the hardship, the challenges, what it's going to cost you, you realize it's going to be difficult and tough. Maybe it's another lie that Satan's used to lead you out of the will of God. Forsake that this morning. Confess it. And ask God to move you back into his will. And friend, let today begin be a new beginning, a new reconsecration to Christ's lordship over your life and your surrender to his expressed will for your life. And let him change his plans. Let him move you day in and day out in his will. Your life surrendered. You're following him. Father, speak to your church today. Remind us again, God, that we have an enemy that seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Our lives, the lives of our family, testimony of this church, God, protect us. God, I pray we'll do our part. God, I pray nothing ever, absolutely nothing, will cause us to drift out of your will because we're surrendered to you, your word, and your lordship over our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are bowed.